part of the effect of trauma is that it teaches our bodies, particularly our sense doors, that it's not safe to be there. Our bodies are unsafe places in which to to live. To inhabit our own bodies is is to uh, open ourselves up to harm. And so part of the way that we survive is by effectively closing our sense doors so that they're not taking in as much information. But by limiting the amount of harmful information that we're taking in, we also shut off all the good stuff. This is episode number 493 with Nisha Heron-Fair, reconnecting to sexuality after an unhealthy relationship. I love this topic. I can't wait to get into it with Nisha. This is just such an important thing that we don't always realize how important sexuality is and what we even don't even have an awareness around. So we're going to get into it in just a minute, but I want to welcome you back to Last First Date Radio, where we believe it is never too late to go on your last first date. And if you would like some support on your journey to lasting healthy love, I wrote a book and it's called Becoming a Woman of Value, How to Thrive in Life and Love. And it's filled with three pillars of core confidence, uh, show up, stand up and speak up. And that's the book is divided into those categories. And it's not just for people dating, it's for anybody who really wants to step more fully into their value. And you can find it now on Amazon for Kindle or paperback. This week's tip from the book is be aware of your tone. That is step number 23. We often think that we're not saying anything bad to somebody, but our tone of voice totally betrays us. And I was guilty as charged because I grew up in a home with a lot of passive aggressive communication. And so I tried with my children to remain calm and tell them things that wasn't a, you know, kind, not raising my voice tone. And I didn't realize that I was saying things through my teeth and, mm, mm. and my kids would say to me, mom, your tone of voice is terrible. And I used to get mad at like, I'm trying to discipline you. <laughs> How could you tell me that my tone of voice is bad? And I didn't realize until I did the communication work that I now teach that our tone of voice gives us away. And so if you are going to say something and, and it's important to, you know, whatever it is, if it's something that is sharing your feelings or your hurt, hurt feelings or your needs, take a moment to pause and just calm your tone of voice. Because when you're coming from a center place, you will be calmer and your tone of voice will match the words that you're saying. So my challenge to you this week is take a pause before you speak and be aware of your tone. Before I bring Nisha on, I just want to give a shout out to my amazing Facebook group. It's called Your Last First Date. So if you're a woman over 40 and you would like some positive support on your journey to your last first date, join us. The conversations there are real, they're authentic, and they help you move forward and not just complain about your state of dating or relationship, but to actually get support. And now for my guest, Nisha Heron-Fair. She is an author, a researcher, and a trauma-informed sex educator. She believes in authentic sex sexuality as the antidote to sexual perfectionism. That's a new term for me, which is the silent intimacy killer that makes us perform sex 
instead of experiencing it in a way that feels embodied. She works almost exclusively with female survivors and people who are recovering from unhealthy relationships to help them reclaim a nourishing, authentic, soulfully aligned relationship to pleasure that supports them to live purposefully in every area of their lives. Welcome to the show, Nisha. Thanks, Andy. It's wonderful to be here. I love this topic. And I find, you know, as a, as a dating coach and a relationship coach, that this is such an important thing to discuss. And I think it doesn't get discussed enough. So I would love to first hear your story and why you became passionate Mm -hmm. about doing this work. I've been doing somatics and embodiment work for over a decade now. Um, But I started specializing in pleasure work and authentic sexuality, I think it's about five years ago now, and it was after I had my own reclamation process or began my reclamation process. I don't like to think of reclamation, sexual reclamation as something we do once. It's kind of a process we continue to do for the rest of our lives. Um, So I ended an abusive relationship in 2014. And prior to that relationship, I was, uh, I would have described myself as being sexually uh, liberated very literate. I was very open to experimentation, felt very comfortable with my sexuality, didn't have a lot of shame, despite having a lot of uh, prior sexual traumas. Um, And by the end of that relationship, I couldn't even touch myself. I couldn't self-pleasure. I was terrified of the idea of dating and being sexual, being intimate with a man. Um, And I was completely shut off from my body, from the world, by extension, um, you know, we don't really talk about the the kind of knock-on effects of being shut down either emotionally or physically, but it really does prevent us from connecting with other people and feeling alive and, and connected to the world around us. So I actually, my moment came when uh, I had a dream. And I've never had this experience before where I literally had an orgasm in my dream and was woken up and reminded about this part of myself that I was neglecting. And so it took about six months before I could really feel safe in my own body. But that process of really connecting to myself and being compassionate with my body, with my sexuality, not pressuring myself to do things the right way or the way other people are telling me that I need to be doing them was so deeply healing and transformative. Um, And so that was really a catalyst for me shifting gears into this space to support others. Um, Sort of in that process of coming back into the dating pool, I will say too that um, it's steered me into a direction. We're going to talk about this, I'm sure today, but around fawning in sexuality, fawning in, in sexual interactions. Um, and that was something that I'd realized that I hadn't been doing. Sorry, I hadn't realized that I had been doing for many years in my relationships, sacrificing my pleasure, uh, abandoning myself, either in the moment or in the relationship. Um, so that's really been a big focus for me as well. Yeah, and I, I really want to hear about fawning. I just want to mm-hmm. take a moment to reflect on your story and how I'm sure so many of our listeners can relate to being shut down, um, to being in in traumatic 
sexual relate having sexual trauma in their past. And I think we we because we have survival skills, we often don't really see the impact. And until it becomes just so, so clear to us that we are so shut down. And I also love that you talk about the fact that it's not just about sexuality, it's about connection with other people. It doesn't just affect sex, it affects embodiment. And, and you know, the fact that you are a somatic healer, and for anyone who doesn't know it, somatic, it's body work, and we become very disconnected from our bodies in general, like especially high-performing women and men become a head, a walking head, right? Mm -hmm. And I think most of this work is just really reconnecting us to our bodies, which really holds so much wisdom. Yeah, it's where it's where it all is. I there's more wisdom in your body than there is in, in your in your brain. The brain is a processor, but the the truth, our truth, our authentic truth, is really um, it's in our hearts and our guts and our vulvas, right? That whole deep core alignment. And it's not just you know we can talk about it on the metaphysical, um, spiritual plane that we have these kind of ephemeral ideas of what alignment is, but really alignment is coming into physiological, emotional, psychological, intellectual um, coherence with ourselves and with what's true for us. Mm. That head, heart, gut alignment. Yeah, such an important thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's talk a little bit about, in general, how unhealthy relationships impact and injure a person's sexuality. The physiological, the stress responses of being shut down are not separate from the behaviors and the thoughts and the emotions that go with them. Um, When we experience either a fawning response or a shutting down response, the purpose of that response is to limit our awareness of what's happening in our environment, what's happening in our relationship, what's happening in ourselves, so that we can stay where we are and avoid harm because our nervous systems believe that either fighting back or fleeing the scene would be more harmful than staying where we are. So when we talk about shutting down or fawning, I think we can get really caught up in the, oh, I self-abandoned or, oh, feeling shameful about how we dealt with the situation, but it's not a choice. Right. These are physiological body level responses that are hundreds of thousands of years old. And we're now using them in a very modern context with very different relationship dynamics than we had when they first started emerging in our bodies as humans 100,000 years ago. So I think that's a really important thing to remember because I hear a lot from my clients. There's a lot of shame, like this was my choice. And, you know, I just, I dealt with it wrong or, um, you know, I didn't want to, but I just kind of let it happen, this kind of stuff. And the, once they start to learn about really the truths underlying fawning and performing and shutting down, they realize like, oh, so I, I just, it wasn't that I didn't like sex. It was that my body was in a state of shock. And that was where the displeasure was coming from. Right. So understanding that connection is often a really um, kind of awakening moment for a lot of folks, knowing that it wasn't my fault. This was just what my body did. 
because that's what it thought was going to be the best way of keeping me safe. I love that you're bringing shame into this because mm-hmm. anytime we, we shine light on shame and really understand where our responses come from, thing can't exist in the light. And so um, I just would love for people to take away that message, if nothing else, that there is no, like we're doing our best. We are, you know, this is a physiological response to stay safe because we want to survive. That is really the biological need. And often to survive, we do things that we wouldn't do if we weren't in that situation. To follow on what you were saying about survival needs, authenticity is a survival need. We often think about authenticity as being this like trendy, nice little hashtag and, you know, be your authentic self. Uh, But if I live or am in a domestic situation, relationship situation where my authentic self is not accepted, where it's not okay for me to express my authentic self, my body is getting the information, the message that I'm not safe. And so whether I want to or not, I'm going to use a stress response in order to stay in that relationship or domestic situation. And over time, when we use stress responses continuously, we see uh, not just you know being disconnected from the world, we see decreased immune function, circulatory function, uh, neuroendocrine function, more depression, digestive issues. So this idea of authenticity being a survival need is really, um, you know, well, it won't kill you, you know, in the moment. Over time, it has a really um, detrimental effect to our health and well-being. And the one thing and the purpose of fawn is to repress our authentic selves in the moment when we, so the thing to, let me back up a bit. Fawning is a uniquely hierarchical stress response. So I'm not going to fawn to a falling tree branch or to a loud noise or to an oncoming car in traffic. I fawn in relation to people only. So it's part of our mm, social engagement system kind of gone into overdrive when we were in unsafe circumstances, whether it's in relationships at work, in the home, in our romantic, intimate relationships. So I feel like I just said a lot there. So I'm going to wait and (laughs) let you comment or ask any questions. Uh, Yeah. So I'm just trying to process what you're saying. So it sounds like um, it's only in relationship to people. And um, what I'm thinking is it's almost like people pleasing gone to the 10th, not, you know, nth degree. It's like, we're trying to fit in to be safe. And so we suppress who we are in order to be okay with the person we're with. Is that, does that sound kind of Yeah. So people pleasing is fawning. So it's not to the nth degree. People pleasing is fawning, um, you know, and it's not a, it's not something where we consciously repress who we are. That's what the fawn response does. It represses who we are because our bodies know that who we are as we are is not safe and isn't going to be um, received with love and acceptance. And part of the reason we do this is to protect our hearts because we know that this person or these people are not uh, able to see us or 
hold space for us in the way that we need. But another part of the fawn response is that in, so there are three things that are repressed the minute a fawn response is triggered. One, we lose the connection to our language center because all of the blood moves out of our language center and into our um, core organs. We repress our boundaries. So we literally dissolve our boundaries, make ourselves smaller. And three, we repress our authenticity and our authentic needs and desires. So again, these are all biological functions happening on the subconscious level. And the effect, obviously, on the conscious is we see ourselves, we lose ourselves to the relationship. We default to another person's uh, pleasure, their sexual preferences, their fantasies, their turn-ons become our turn-ons because it's just easier that way, right? And because we might be afraid that they either aren't able to go to the places that we want to, or if we go to those deep places, because let's remember sex is so vulnerable, right? So the worst thing in our minds that could happen is that we actually open to our partner we go to those places of like deep connecting like soulful pleasure and they don't meet us or they um criticize us right so it's a way of saying okay well i don't trust you to be there for me in the way that i need you to be there for me so i'm just gonna prevent any chance of that happening by shutting myself off and walling off any possibility for you to go to that deep place for me. It's, it's really just a way of, you know, avoiding harm on yeah. a, you know, physical, emotional, spiritual level. And what you're describing is so true for most of my clients. Mm -hmm. um, they've been in relationships as well as myself, um, which required them to be smaller and not be vulnerable and the int intimacy that they're seeking cannot exist without the vulnerability without them being authentically themselves and so this is the conundrum how do we get from fawning to authentic authentic self authentic sexuality the answer there there are many different answers it depends on the situation the person's in i mostly see women who have ended relationships and are coming to me looking to like create a clean slate. The upside is that most of the women then go on to choose partners who see the opportunity to help them have authentic experiences of sexuality as an honor instead of seeing their history, their past, their, you know, maybe the traumas that they have experienced as a burden or a stigma. So in this process of finding the clearest clean slate, we tend to become a better, we get better at choosing our partners at seeing um, people who are gonna be a good compliment for us, but our value and our inner worth is really, um, I mean, it goes from, I don't want to say zero to a hundred, but it's just, it's, it's a real, it's a real upward trajectory, let's say. So part of much of my process, it's, you know, it is somatic. So we work on the body level. I do a lot of work with movement and voice. Um, you know, the thing with, 
I get a little bit of a bee in my bonnet about this because there's a lot of, especially in the female empowerment circles, people saying, just empower women to use their voices. Just, just sing it out. Just, just do it. Like, what's wrong with you? And when we've been conditioned over, you know, some of us, 20, 30, 40 years, whether it's stuff that happened in our childhood or just even as an adult growing up in a very, you know, sexist world, let's face it. Um, your conditioning is not in your head, it's in your body. So when we have 40, 50 years of not using those neural pathways, those muscular structures, they weaken, they atrophy. And we have to recondition our bodies to be able to use our voices in times of heightened stress. Because when we are in our stress responses, they're not, they're, pardon me, they're biological, but we also learn over time that certain stress responses work really well at keeping us alive. So it's not about whether it makes me be my best self. It's about, am I staying alive? Great. I'm still here. So obviously fawning is really effective. I'm going to keep using it. Um, so voice work is a really big part of what I do. And we do a lot of um, work with voice and movement to literally rebuild the wiring from, you know, brain, mouth to, uh, to lungs, diaphragm, and even um, to the pelvic floor. So if you look at the way babies scream and use their voices, they use their whole bodies. And I invite anyone to go and take a little YouTube rabbit hole of what babies look like when they are screaming or talking or just learning to find their voices. They use their whole bodies to to vocalize and so their voice is a real inextricably linked part of who they are it's part of our identity so i work to rebuild those connections on a body level to remind their bodies of what is natural and inborn in them already but has been trained out by experience let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors this episode is brought to you by amazon music unlimited you can listen to over 70 million songs and thousands of playlists and stations. Plus, you can now stream your favorite podcasts like Last First Date Radio. You can listen to any song, anytime, anywhere, on any of your devices, your smartphone, your tablet, your PC or Mac, Fire TV, and any Alexa-enabled devices like the Amazon Echo. Get Amazon Music Unlimited for free for 30 days just head on over to getamazonmusic.com forward slash last first date to learn more and claim this offer. I spoke to somebody recently who said, I don't feel joy. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like, uh, you know, there's a part of me that holds back. And her background was, uh, there was a lot of trauma and she learned to adapt by shutting down, by being the good girl. And then she was in a marriage for many years with somebody who was very narcissistic and continued this suppression. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I told her was to do somatic work. I, you know, to um, even when she's on a walk to, use her senses, you know, to breathe, to listen for sounds, to, to touch, to, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and she's spending time with a family member now. And I said, when you're in conversation with her, 
pay attention to your body. How's your body feeling when you're having these conversations? Because this person can be very triggering for her and to speak her feelings. So I'm curious, you know, what you have to say about some of that body work and if you have anything to add to that. Yeah, I've got lots. <laughs> um, so anytime we experience trauma, especially when it's pervasive, uh, especially when it was learned in the home. Um, and I'm just going to put a pin in the census because I want to drop in the fact that, you know, we know at this point that when we end up in unhealthy relationships as adults, it often is because it's a reflection of an unhealthy relationship we had as a child. But what often gets missed is that, you know, we don't end up there because we're bad or we have low self-esteem. It's because our muscles and tissues and neuroendocrine systems and mineral balancing, we're all taught that that's what relationship means. So this relationship over here that's really unhealthy is just the most efficient because that's what our bodies know how to work with, even though it's painful. It's what is, it's not new, right? So new requires the creation of new neural pathways. It requires the changing of the way we, uh, we process our minerals and balance our, trans, our neurotransmitters and hormones. So it's work. So this is really something I really try to kind of get out there that um, when we are trying to recover from these relationships, we're really having to repattern our bodies at the cellular level. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so the senses piece, part of the effect of trauma is that it teaches our bodies, particularly our sense doors, that it's not safe to be there. Our bodies are unsafe places in which to, to live. To inhabit our own bodies is, is to uh, open ourselves up to harm. And so part of the way that we survive is by effectively closing our sense doors so that they're not taking in as much information. But by limiting the amount of harmful information that we're taking in, we also shut off all the good stuff. So a lot of the work I do with women is choicefully, like almost thinking of it like, uh, like a prescription, dosing your body, your senses with really beautiful, nourishing sensory information, whether it's keeping a little bit of um, essential oils by your computer or having a beautiful fragrant flower by your bedside. So it's the first thing you see when you wake up and you can smell it in the morning. Um, I do a lot of stuff with self-touch and recalibrating how our bodies respond to touch that way. Um, so really just proving to yourself, your body on a subconscious body level that uh, the world is safe. There is wonder and beauty out there and it's okay for me to receive it because part of the other story that we get when we have experiences of trauma or extended period of time is that we have to pay for pleasure with pain. So there may be these moments of connection or moments where, you know, a lot of these unhealthy relationships, there's a lot of volatility and there might be a lot of hot and cold. And we end up, I mean, at least I did kind of saying, okay, well, we had this one nice time six months ago, right? Where he was like my ideal lover 
and was so attentive to me. So that can happen again. <laughs> so going back in after, and I, I do, I mean, I, I will say I have not worked with a couple to, well, that's not true. I've worked with the couples after once they've, once they're in healthy relationships, but I haven't worked with a couple in an unhealthy dynamic because I really, I really don't, I don't know if it's possible because when there's that little safety, when the relationship, the basis of the relationship is informing the woman that you're not safe to be who you are. And I don't see you as a human being of equal value to myself. And I'm not going to support you in the way that you need. Like you're going to fawn no matter what, no amount of eye gazing or overpriced lube or, you know, sex positions is going to change that. You, know, you really have to have to get to the bottom of it and, and dig out the root. So yeah. Yeah. Does that answer your question? I think so. <laughs> I mean, somatics and senses. Yeah. The senses are so important and, uh, something you said about pain and pleasure and I, I lost that mm -hmm. comment what did you say about the pain? I said that when so abusive or unhealthy relationships make us pay for our pleasure with pain or that that's the offset so we learn that if if there is any form of pleasure to come that uh, you know there's another shoe to drop that there will be it's either criticism or you know emotional physical or sexual abuse that that follows that there's always a consequence and there's never pleasure is not ever pleasure for the sake of pleasure goodness is never good because it's always kind of shrouded in this okay but what's the next bad thing that's going to happen so right. um i call it recalibrating the senses after unhealthy relationship that we have to teach our senses what's healthy what feels authentically good for our bodies and ourselves um, and kind of give our bodies and ourselves new and more accurate definitions of safety and goodness. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I was just actually thinking about someone I know who I would say she fawns a lot because she stays in a marriage. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting situation. Her marriage wasn't great and sort of they were living parallel lives uh, where both of them, I think, were having affairs. Mm -hmm. And then he got very sick and had to stop working. And I think she feels guilty leaving him. And so she continues to have affairs, but she also continues to sleep with him to make him happy. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, there's this part of her that turns off and fawns in order to keep the marriage going. Not sure why people do that. Um, I mean, I think it's easier than leaving in many ways. And then she has her needs met in other ways. So yeah, have you seen relationships like this where people fawn and have pleasure somewhere else? We are so complex. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we are. And I think, you know, there, uh, if there's a hundred different relationships, there's about 150 ways of doing relationship, you know, um, or 250, um, you know, fawning is, um, an extension of the tendon befriend response. So this is a very natural, very healthy stress response where we feel nourished by our 
connections by getting eye contact, by having a nice conversation with a friend, a nice hug. These are positive effects of the tend response. So fawn is when that very natural human need for connection and interaction goes into overdrive. Sometimes fawn can be really effective at getting us out of a hot watery situation. And sometimes it can be detrimental to our aliveness, to our health and well-being, to other people. So I think, to answer your question, no, I haven't seen a, a situation like that. But I think it's important to really, I mean, I don't judge. So until she or one of her partners gets to a point where she realizes this is actually really hurting me or it's really hurting my partner, one of my partners, um, you know, it's useful. Our stress responses are useful to, to an extent. And even fight flight, you know, fight flight is, is great for getting us motivated and um, getting a challenge completed, right? It's when these stress responses go into overdrive and when we're using them chronically, that's when they become harmful. So, you know, I think discernment is always the most important quality to enter into a defawning process and whether um, the extent to which, you know, your choices are serving you. If she's feeling served and, and what she's, those responses, her, her sex responses, stress responses are wiring her for what she needs and wants and how she wants to show up in the world, then, then great. If they're not, then, you know, it's time to inquire. But um, we can't be ready for insight a moment sooner than we are ready for insight. It's so true. <laughs> yeah. And, and I like that you said that you don't judge. I, I don't either. I mean, mm -hmm. she has a tough life and this is how she's coping with it. And, um, and she has an outlet, which I think if she didn't have that outlet, she would have a tougher life. And so this mm -hmm. is how she's chosen to deal with her situation. And yeah. I agree that when we are in fight or flight, that we are reacting to something, that it can be really important, I think, to really identify what that is. You know, if it's, if it's a value of ours that is not being met, and that's usually what leads to this, right? And so we can get, get really clear, like, this value is really mm -hmm. important to me. So I'm having this feeling in my body that's yes. making me want to shut down or making me want to run away um, and learning to deal with that in a healthier way is is really the goal right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and I think the trick that's sort of the the real it's the it's a bit of a heartbreaker because shutting down and fawning um diminishes our awareness of ourselves it's part of the denial complex that keeps us in unhealthy relationships. It's yeah. the whole purpose is to kind of numb us down so we don't see things as clearly and we make excuses. So um, you know, that's why it's like, it's a real, it's a slow baby step process of noticing, maybe not changing right away and just noticing, just allowing our awareness to be, because I mean, awareness is growth, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, um, I, everyone has their own process and we all have to get there in the way that's, that's authentic to us. And I think that's probably the biggest, 
it's one of the most rewarding parts of the process when I work with folks because being empowered to be in charge of your own healing journey and knowing that like I say right off the bat like I am not in charge here you've hired me you are the boss right so and that's part of the whole authentic sexuality piece is really getting rid of all of those narratives all of the stories that say I have to do this therapy or I have to go to this person or I have to do this exercise reconnecting to what feels authentic on a body level to our intuition because that's another piece that gets kind of pushed down. We stop trusting our instincts. Um, so that's a really, really important part is just trusting that you're right. You are right. Whatever you think, whatever yeah. you feel, trust it until, you know, you begin to slowly discern um, what feels, what feels authentic on a body level, because if you haven't been living an authentic experience in your relationship we really we don't know what it feels like we don't know what authenticity feels like so that's a big part of the process yeah yeah and and I coach the same way as you where it's about empowering the client because it's we don't have the answers for other people we can help them be in in conversation and we can help them question and we can help them mm -hmm. with tools but everybody's got a different history everybody's got a different way of processing and it's got to come from us but when we stop trusting us ourselves and ask for the solution and the one size fits all and tell me what to do that's where we disconnect again and the whole point of this is to connect back to have agency over your life to be empowered which is so crucial so crucial yeah mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the <clears throat> pandemic. Um, we've mm -hmm. been going through a lot of very unusual times. And as we're recording, we're still going through it. And we thought we were kind of coming out, but there's new strains of the virus. And it's really affected our social lives, our lives in general. And I'm curious about how it has affected our relationship to pleasure. <laughs> So we've kind of touched on this a little bit in terms of talking about the ways our bodies close off to the world. Um, part of the frozen immobilization responses that happen within a stress response cascade have really happened on a more subtle level um, as a result of lockdowns, as a result of not being able to leave our homes. And while on a logical level, we can say this is something we need to do, the loss to our way of life is a trauma that, you know, we don't really know how to process as a society. Um, and so it's really understandable that people are feeling more easily triggered, are feeling um, like they might be having a bit of an identity crisis, don't really know how to relate. Um, in terms of sexual pleasure, whether it's with oneself or in a relationship, a lot of avoidance. Um, and I wanna say, I think, you know, some couples, some people did really well in the pandemic and others didn't. So um, I'm saying this for those people who found that they were struggling. Um, more avoidance. And part of that I think comes from the imbalance of workload in heterosexual 
parent relationships where women were taking on an extra, in some cases, three, four hours a day of unpaid labor. Um, couples were having to negotiate small spaces and both working from home. Um, and I think we've probably all heard the statistic at this point that the gender gap has increased an extra 37 years. And as I like to say, I don't have 136 years to wait <laughs> before we close the gender gap. We need to chop, chop. Um, so, you know, I think the pandemic, it brought a lot of things to light that need fixing, that need balancing. Um, but the effect of any form of stress is really to diminish our, not just our desire for pleasure, but for our capacity for it. Because pleasure production and stress management happen in two completely different modes of our nervous systems. So if we're living in the stress management one, we just not only are we not getting access to the pleasure production when that mode and all of that um, patterning is, is weakening because we're not using it. Interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I would say even for singles who were cut off and uh, didn't know how to reconnect, there's a lot of re-entry into the world now where people are afraid of getting involved with somebody and afraid of kissing, afraid of the reconnection. I mean, I, I even felt just being social again felt weird. You know, I just traveled and getting on an airplane, oh. talking to people and talking through a mask is yes. also this other level of disconnection. And who do you trust? Who don't you trust? How do you, how do you let your body go when there's so many barriers to opening. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. Um, I want to, there's something you were talking about in the beginning about the importance of tone of voice. Mm. Um, and it follows to what you're talking about in terms of these disruptions to, or the, the, the walls, if you like, that are being put between ourselves and other people. Um, we co-regulate through our tone of voice and co-regulate one another's nervous systems through tone of voice. But we also co-regulate through eye contact, you know, like little nice smiling eyes and little micro expressions around our mouths. And all of these subtle subconscious details inform to another person um, our emotional state and the relative safety of the environment that we're in. So it's harder to connect um, when we have, you know, these walls up in place. And I noticed that um, people seem to be struggling to maintain eye contact with a mask. Mm. Whereas before it was easier to just look at someone's face and see them, it feels almost too intimate to maintain eye contact with the mask on because there's less, um, it's the only source of co-regulation information that's coming from our faces, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think that's part of it, that um, it's, A, it's different, B, on a, you know, bioevolutionary level, we don't know how to do this. And I think, you know, I think that the, the fear is natural and it's normal to be scared about kissing someone or, yeah. or going to bed with someone after all this time. And, you know, I, I actually, 
I kind of think that for dating and relationships, the pandemic was actually a really wonderful thing because it forced us to get really clear about our values and to ask the hard questions before the 10th date, right? And so that's something that I really encourage people to do. It's like, well, if you've never actually gone through and said like, what are my sexual values? But that's a really wonderful exercise to do where you can actually start weeding people out sooner because they actually don't have the same um, same philosophies around sex and intimacy that you do, or maybe they aren't aware of who they are as a sexual being. Maybe they haven't or don't have sexual values. And just because you don't have sexual values, it's not a bad thing. But if it's something that people are averse to doing, I would always ask why, especially when being, being really aware of what our sexual values are. Uh, it only brings us into greater integrity with who we are and helps us to support the pleasure of another person. So, yeah, I, uh, actually this brings us to our last question, which is what are your final words of advice for somebody who wants to go on their last first date? And I think you started this conversation already by talking about defining your sexual values, knowing who you are so you can weed people out sooner. And I'm, I'm curious, what some sexual values might be for any of our Mm -hmm. listeners who are confused about what that looks like. Yeah. So I, 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 uh, I can share it with you. Um, if you'd like, I'll put it in the show notes. I have this like lovely little graphic. It's a Venn diagram. So if you can picture two circles interconnected, one circle is what turns me on. The other circle is what's in integrity and that sweet spot in the middle are your sexual values, the things that make you really aroused, but also support you to show up with greater integrity, not just in bed and in your relationships, but in the rest of your life. So how are my sexual choices supporting me to be the person I want to be every day in the world? How are they supporting me to contribute in the way that feels deeply meaningful to me and my community, my family? So I see sexual values as being, or awareness of one's sexual values as being a kind of like really hidden super fuel. (laughs) The moment we can become clearer about those things, we get clearer about the kind of partner that we want. But it also helps. So one of the big sort of challenges that I tackled in my recovery from my abusive relationship was... um, you know, I did all those lists, all the goddess gathering things of the kind of partner I want to attract. Um, and in the end, because we all do them, we do, come on. But in the end, I just, I really saw that like, I wasn't being any of those things for myself. So I had to become my own ideal partner. And I think that's really the groundwork on which anything that you ever want in a relationship has to has to stand. So that would probably be the on top of you know that and sexual values being the being the big ones. Yeah, I love that one. I I remember when I first started doing this work, I had a created a graphic image be the love you wish to find in the world. And mm. it's it's we expect things from a partner that we don't have often. Like I remember when I was in my twenties, I was like, Oh, I want somebody who's got all these things that I don't yet have. And now that I know myself better, I date 
I know exactly what I'm looking for. I know who I am and I know what feels good to me. And I, I dated somebody recently while I was traveling who on paper sounded like he had similar values. And, and this is something that we all need to be aware of. Like people can write these amazing profiles and they sound like, you know, they're giving back to the world. They're doing all these amazing things. And I remember our first conversation and I said, we were talking about politics because it's listed in my profile that I'm apolitical because um, he said, tell me about that. And I said, I don't like right or wrong conversations. I don't like yeah. when people yes. try to convince me that their way is the right way and I'm wrong. So that's what I mean by apolitical. And I found that he in other ways was trying to convince not just me, but other people that his way was the right way. And, but it's, and it's so interesting because you hear these things in a first conversation. If you're paying attention, if you're asking the right questions, if you're really watching somebody's behavior and how their words may not align, you, you've got all the information you need. And when you're really clear and you've got those values really down, it is so helpful. And like you said, you can weed people out sooner. <laughs> You just want to align with values. You want to make sure that you're on the same page. And if you're not, no problem, just not the right person and keep moving. Yeah, yeah. 100%. I think the there's, I talk about this a bit in, in the book. Um, we haven't talked about that. I've, I've written no. a book on, on <laughs> fawning. Um, it's actually the first text to ever be written about this fawn response in regards to sex and intimacy. Um, and to your point about weeding people out, you know, we don't have more time than the time that we have. And the minute, you know, when we give our time and our energy and attention to someone, it's either feeding us or feeding on us. So if I have a wonderful interaction with someone, that's going to feed me. But if I have a terrible interaction with someone, I might be angry with myself for giving them my attention for an hour for the day that goes, uh, that follows. So I think part of that process of connecting with our values is it makes us really clear and, um, you know, values are really an extension of your boundaries of like the kind of experiences you want to have in life. So having that clarity and being, I think it's also part of values or like your own self value too, that my time and attention are priceless and they're non renewable. Right. And so, you know, I'm going to spend them with people who are going to make me more uh, connected to myself, going to make going to make me feel more connected to the world um, and then are going to feed me to to do and show up in the way that I want to in the world, not the opposite. So I think that that awareness of our own impermanence is really important for. For how we navigate our process, either in dating or, or in life. Right, I agree. And that goes mm -hmm. for the work we do, the the way we spend our time, the friends we have. Yes. I mean, so many people are just letting their life be drained out of them instead yeah. of taking having agency over their life and their mm -hmm. time and the way they spend all of it. It is not yeah. renewable, as you say. Um, this is such an important conversation, Nisha. I really enjoyed speaking with you and I would love to get the title of your book because we never talked yes. about that and how people <laughs> can find you. Awesome. Thank you.
Do you want me to give you that now? Or yeah, when, let's, the, let's oh yeah, sure. That. So the title is Fawn, When No Looks Like Yes. And uh, it goes through all of the kind of biological, social factors that contribute to fawning in our relationship lives. Um, fawning has been identified in a lot of sort of authoritative parent-child relationships, uh, developmental trauma, but it hasn't really been looked at in the ways it shows up in some of the sneakier, um, more surreptitious aspects of, of relationship, especially unhealthy relationships. So that's what I do. I dive in and we look at the, uh, like I said, the biologic and social factors, but then we kind of go deeper and, and explore like how does healthy attachment support me to stop fawning, uh, healthy attachment and relationships. And what are the connections between pleasure, spirituality, and my nervous system? And how can I make better choices uh, to not only support me to stop fawning, but to how those choices actually catapult me into living the kind of life that I want to live. And so we look at um, a little bit of spiritual, but uh, it's it comes from a really grounded, trauma-informed place. Uh, and then I kind of answer the million-dollar question of how can pleasure and intimacy thrive in a post-Me Too, post-pandemic reality. So it's a, it's a big endeavor. It's a bit of an expose, but I also uh, balance it with a lot of memoir from my own experiences. Um, and yeah, it's on my website currently. Oh, by the time this airs, it will be on Amazon. Um, the, uh, the e-version is currently on my website and it might be in February as well, but all of the notes and links will be I suppose in the show notes. So yes. it'll be accessible. So uh, your website is nishafair.com. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, it's N-I-S-C-H-A-P-H-A-I-R.com. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for joining me today and having this very important conversation. I know that our audience will get so much out of it as I did today. Thank you, Sandy. It was wonderful to be here, really. Thank you. And thanks everybody for listening. If you love our show, please, please rate, review, subscribe. It always helps. And as always, here's to your last first date. If you are ready to get unstuck, gain new tools, become more empowered, and finally find your last first date, I'd love to talk to you. Fill out an application to be considered for a complimentary half hour love breakthrough session at lastfirstdate.com forward slash application. That's lastfirstdate.com forward slash application. I look forward to talking to you soon.